Fresh New Shorts offers you new short stories from award-winning authors. Today's story is The Destroying Angel by John Blackmore and is found in A Physicist's Guide to Love and Other Natural Phenomena, available on Amazon. In The Destroying Angel, the annual fall camping trip for three friends is upended by Tanner, a successful fast-talking executive. Tanner pokes, goads, and cajoles the men to observe their settled and settling lives. The ribbing turns serious, though, when they lose track of a beautiful but deadly poisonous mushroom. The Destroying Angel Kirk's new friend was late. What's his name again? Flanner? Garrison asked. Kirk bobbed on the floating dock. He wiped sweat off his high forehead and replaced the lucky ball cap his father had won at Wrigley a generation ago. Kirk looked good in ball caps, even with his blonde hair starting to fail. There was a glass shelf in his rec room, full of dirt and grass-scudded baseballs, marking the electric moments of his life. He stared up the gravel path from the dock to the parking lot. Tanner, Kirk said. His name's Tanner. Kirk folded his arms tightly. I said I'd pick him up at his house, but he had some calls to make on the way. Calls? He's in charge of sales. How in charge? Garrison asked. SVP. They hired him to make things happen, Kirk growled the last of the sentence, to imitate executives he had known. Garrison snorted. He rarely laughed full out, holding mirth back like a sneeze. Kirk could never be the big boss. Kirk thought inside the little blue boxes of his graph paper. Garrison stretched out on the sun-blanched dock near the canoes. They'd miss Henry on this year's trip. Henry was in the middle of a divorce. His absence had made the space for Tanner. Divorce, apparently, was like expecting a baby. You couldn't stray from the phone. Agreements might break. The sudden rush to lawyers or courts. Doug sat on shore, shuffling inside his multi-pocket vest for matches. Doug taught sciences, mostly physics, in high school. He calculated, you talk less when your subject was based on Greek letters, numbers, and mathematical operations. Doug had a quota on spoken words, like he was the victim of a gypsy curse. Doug typically spent 20 of them per trip. He cracked his jaw and launched a succession of smoke rings. There's no wind on the lake this morning. The rings floated above their heads like halos. He motioned towards the parking lot. There he is, Kirk said, exhaling. A black BMW SUV, gleaming as if it had just been waxed, tore through the gravel parking lot. The BMW surprised Garrison and Doug. It broke Kirk's code. Over the years, they had learned the complex chivalry Kirk upheld, the breaches he despised. Luxury SUVs were a transgression. Husbands who didn't earn enough money, dads who couldn't throw football spirals. Tanner's shining bald head emerged from the truck. He slung his bag over one shoulder and strutted down the path to the dock. His gear was all high-tech. 
zip-off quick-dry pants, black polypropylene long-sleeve shirt under a cayenne-colored polar fleece vest, Gore-Tex Italian hiking boots, an Arcteryx pack. Garrison stared down at the same Canadian tire crap he had been dragging along for a decade, duct tape, twine, and super goop holding parts in place. A sweater so old, it was actually made in America. You've got to get one of these GPS rigs. They're simply incredible. Real wonder in Tanner's drawn-out, over-enunciated words. I had my Bluetooth, cut the deal, drove by GPS. It pilots itself, man. Tanner, Kirk said. Am I late, boys? He said, smiling at Kirk then Garrison, and Doug. He had incredibly white teeth. I hope you haven't been waiting long. Not at all, Kirk said. It had been about 45 minutes, dog years for a man as punctual as Kirk. Tanner looked everyone over. Well, boys, let's do some outdoors. Garrison dipped his hand into the black water as they canoed up Grand Lake. Three months, 90 days, and this would all be glazed with ice, perhaps with a foot of snow. The water was already cold. You could feel the lake bracing for the end. He brought his paddle back to the water. It was two miles to the portage route that led to Wenda. Five years before, they took an alternate route up Caracajou Falls and through a series of four other lakes connected by portages. They got turned round wrong at the second lake, going southeast on a pond rather than northwest, paddling into a swamp of burnt-head bulrushes. Henry didn't care. He told a hundred rabbi, priest, and minister jokes in his Catskills accent, while Kirk rotated the map around and around in frustration. Henry's jokes weren't that funny, but Doug and Garrison laughed. Henry's jokes gave them cover to laugh at Kirk's ferocity. Even Kirk began to laugh. It was a testament to Henry. He could make anyone laugh, except his wife. Kirk and Tanner had pulled out ahead. Tanner was talking, his voice breaking the stillness of the lake. Doug barely paddled, letting Kirk and Tanner distance themselves further to dampen the voice of Tanner. Garrison wanted to say how he forgot each year how much he enjoyed being out on the water, how it was one of the things in life that truly lit him up, the way the air felt just above a lake as you moved over it. But he kept it all to himself. Doug's gods were mute. Kirk and Tanner had already unloaded their old town when Garrison and Doug drifted into the portage. Will you look at that, Tanner said. He'd walked up from the shore and was staring at the ground. He dropped to his knees, his hands out from his sides as if he were going to trap something live. I never thought we'd see one. What is it? Garrison asked. It's a fly agaric, boys. A mushroom. Mushroom? They have different names, Kirk said. Jesus, man, there's thousands. It's like trees, like flowers, Tanner said. What's special about the fly agaric? Tanner said, pronouncing the word slowly. Ag-a-rick. It's poisonous. How poisonous? It won't kill you, but 
You'll feel pretty damn sick. Tanner stood up, swiping wet leaves from his knees. There is one mushroom in this park that will kill you. Go on, Garrison snorted. Tanner strode down towards him. I don't shit with stuff like that, Tanner said. He stood, blocking Garrison's vision. So, what's it called? Garrison asked. The Destroying Angel. It makes you sick, like food poisoning. But then, you get better. You think, oh, thank God. Oh, thank God, I'm saved. But, by that time, it's over. The toxins are inside your body. The next few days, everything shuts down. Your kidneys, your liver, everything. Jesus, Kirk said. How do you recognize it? Garrison asked. Tanner stared at Garrison and then slapped him on the arm. You recognize it because it's damn beautiful and damn perfect. It's the most gorgeous and white and pure-looking mushroom you'll ever see. Tanner sat on a log and took out a silver case from his bag. He pulled out a big cigar and trimmed it with his Swiss Army blade. He licked it down and then motioned for a match from Doug. Doug threw a pack to him. Tanner burnt the end of the cigar and then puffed in. Garrison smirked at the scene. He remembered reading an Esquire story about Cuba and cigars. They were always writing about Cuba and Hemingway and cigars in Esquire. So, Garrison, Tanner said, what's it you do again? Kirk told me, but I forgot. I'm in public relations. I do PR for one of the high-tech companies in town. PR, right on. What's your company? Spar Networks. Tanner made his cigar smoke up as he considered the information. Spar Networks, he thought and billowed smoke. Spar, hmm, spar, funny, never heard of them. Tanner slapped his leg. Boys, the most beautiful things are the most deadly, he said. He turned away from them. I'm guessing wind is this way. He shouldered the canoe and took the lead. Tanner talked the three-kilometer hike to Wendell Lake, keeping his monologue going, hands on the gunnels, one slung off from time to time to move the cigar in and out of his mouth, smoke billowing in fits and starts from underneath the canoe. I was driving my kids to school last week. It's the private one in Richmond Heights. You know it. It was that cold morning. I saw this girl. She had to be grade 12, plaid school skirt, bare legs. So you'd think, right? But this was the best. This was the best. She was wearing a pair of white wool mittens. Damn, those mittens. Look at these beech leaves. My best salesman in the UK, dead now. I flew to London to see him in the hospital after a heart bypass. Quadruple, he said, holding up five shaky fingers. He was lying there, clutching a red pillow to his chest. When I cough, I have to hold this, he whispered, Tanner's voice mimicking the man. But it was his arm that got me. Have you ever seen a dying man's skin? It's paper. I knew he was on a short leash. The skin is just like these beech leaves. Nothing but paper. I made a joke and told him I'd sneaking him something to drink. 
He started to cough like he was going to cough his chest wide open. Real scotch drinkers, they like the lowland stuff, the peaty malts. Once you've had an 18-year-old Afroig, he'll say that Glenfiddich is Kool-Aid for kids. I took them with me when we went to the distillery. Family trip to see where they made the stuff. Whole village done up in tartan. On and on and on. One story connecting him to another about people he knew that the others didn't. Things he had seen or heard that the others had not. Things he'd done that they'd never do. Tanner's script keeping bears at bay. They didn't see a spark of life the whole hike. Not a squirrel, not a chickadee. From time to time, Tanner stopped, taking the boat off his shoulders, leaning down to check a rotting log or clump of button mushrooms nesting on a bed of leaves, sometimes plucking a fungus to put in his bag. It was the only time he was quiet. When the lake had never surrendered a fish. It was a small, oblong body of water with a marshy intake from a brook to the east on one end and a beaver dam stream to the west that drained it. The classic foursome didn't even try fishing anymore. They brought the canoes up from Grand Lake more out of habit. Tanner was not so afflicted. He slid his canoe into Wenda, pulling out a set of NASA fish finders and MIT lures. The other three laid out the sleeping bags, gathered firewood, pulled the deep blue tarp over the front of the cabin to create a sheltered cooking area in case it rained. He's a talker, Garrison said. Kirk shrugged. Garrison stood back and smiled. You thinking of trying the corporate ladder again, Kirk? Maybe with Tanner? Maybe Director of Engineering is in the cards, eh, Kirk? Kirk was tying a slip knot around a branch connecting to the bungee cord hooked into the eye of the tarp. I thought the three of us were done climbing ladders. Hell with the ladders, right, Doug? Isn't that what we said two years ago? You're right, Garrison. You're always right, Garrison, Kirk said. I'm just saying, of course, Kirk said. You got it all figured, Big Gar. The rest of us... He waited and then suddenly opened his hand as if flourishing a coin in a magic trick. Kirk turned away to focus on fixing another corner of the tarp. Doug shrugged. I was just saying, Garrison said. Doug picked up the bag of beers and carried them down to the cold water. He threw one to Garrison, who was still standing there. I was just saying, Garrison thought. He had done this before. He knew. He did this often. Damn it. Kirk was tying the other rope into a grommet. Garrison wanted to find a way back to the same weekend they'd been having for the last ten years. Kirk, he said. Tanner shouted from the middle of the lake. Jesus, if he didn't have a trout. By the time Tanner paddled in, the others had set up a makeshift game of horseshoes. Rusted horseshoes hung on the outside walls of the cabin. There had been a farm at Wenda in the twenties or the thirties. Each year they pulled the rusted shoes off the timber walls and punched iron stakes into the loamy ground. They played horseshoes for the afternoon, punctuated by trips to the bags of beer. Tanner didn't shut up. He was good at horseshoes. He had big, meaty forearms. Garrison glanced down at his own. 
like sticks, he thought. Tanner had Popeye forearms. How the hell you ever got those? Tanner threw opposite to Doug and trash-talked him the whole time. Whether it was the needling or simply the incessant torrent of words, it was working. Doug was throwing poorly and the duo relied on Garrison for any score. Finally, after lofting a shoe that didn't come anywhere near the stake, Doug swore and stormed off, clumping down against the big red pine near the cabin. He pulled out a smoke. I was thinking the same thing, Dougie Lobmeister. It's Miller time, Tanner said. He got a beer and sat directly across from Doug and drew out a cigar. As you get older, you know, boys, you become more attractive, Tanner said, pointing at them with his Corona Grande. As kids, you competed with the hockey jocks and the rich kids and the skinny guys and black jeans who had all the dope. But now that I'm in my 40s, the competition evens out. Hell, it's in my favor. Husbands are fat. They've got half a head of badly cut hair, still wearing the same suit they did 10 years ago. I see it, you know. The other veeps, the other vendors. Take when I go to a party. Wives, they give me a second look. Uh, geez, how come Bobby doesn't look like that look? I'm fit, I'm tanned. I had the right glasses for my face shape. I don't think I understand, Doug said. Doug's voice startled them. You go to other people's parties to turn their wives on, Doug said. So if I invited you to my house for supper, which isn't likely to ever happen, you'd hit on my wife? Doug stood up and ground his smoke out. Kirk and Garrison were calculating the word count. What's on your mind? Tanner asked. I feel like I should smack you now because I figure I'm going to have to do it sooner or later. Doug, Kirk said. Don't sweat it, Kirk. Doug, what are you feeling now? I told you. But what does it feel like? Tanner asked. I'm friggin' mad is what it feels like. Jesus, do you ever shut up? Tanner clapped his hands and jigged a frantic dance. That's it. I thought you'd been dead this whole trip. Now you're feeling something. Doug wound up and swung a roundhouse at Tanner, but Tanner ducked it easily and danced behind him. Feel it. Be angry. At me, at your wife, at your stinking loser job. Doug turned to swing again, but Tanner sidestepped him pulled Doug forward and tripped him. Doug fell face down in the pine needles. Get it all out. It's not me you're mad at. It's the layers of deadness. Peel them away. Is he breathing? Garrison asked. Yeah, he's alive. Maybe for the first time in years, Tanner said. A groan rose from the dirt. I would never do that to you in your house, Doug. Try to turn on your wife. Never in a million years. You're my little quiet brother, but I had to shit you to get you on. Doug turned his face up to Tanner, orange needles stuck to his cheek. It's true, man. Never. Let me help you up. I've got something for you. Tanner threw a small first aid kit to Doug. I'm not hurt, arsehole. Open it up. Doug opened the plastic box. 
three skinny rollies inside. I got these from a girl, Jenny. I met her on Facebook. I didn't plan to, but I think we're in need of a little revelation. This is new weed, so be careful. But it's smooth. He picked out one joint and lit it, sucking the smoke in and holding it like he was going to blow the stick house down. He passed it to Doug, but Doug didn't budge. Go on, man, Tanner squeaked. You need it. Doug took the joint. A cloying, horse sweat smell curled about him. He closed his eyes and took a draw. Tanner finally exhaled a long, blue hiss. Doug held in the smoke. After about ten seconds, his eyes started to crinkle and his mouth grimaced. He let the smoke leak out of his clenched teeth. Let go of it, Doug. Let go of all those demons. Relax, man. Doug took another long draw on the joint. He started to sob. Tanner came over and hugged him. Garrison had never seen Doug's wife hug him. Send those demons to hell, Doug. The job, the do-nothing friends, the boss, the wife, the whole lot. Tanner's kit made the rounds. The four men lay back in the tobacco golden leaves and needles. They began to talk as much as Tanner, while making even less sense. I'm starvation, Tanner finally said, laughing. I'm cooking the fish for supper. Man, you are a fish, Kirk said. He laughed. That provoked even more laughter. It was one of the funniest things any of them had ever heard. Tanner was a freaking fish. Doug was not a fish. He was asleep. Garrison could barely keep his eyes open. He dozed off. Supper, Tanner shouted. Doug was slumped over with a sleeping bag on him. Blood-red dusk shimmered over the trees at the far west end of the lake. They sat down at the cramped table in Wenda Cabin. Kirk was hungrier than he could ever remember. Tanner must have been too. He had ripped open every box and bag in the cabin. He'd cooked everything. Trout stared up from a plate in the middle of the table. Bowls of spaghetti and sauce with carrots, onions, sausage, and bits unknown. Slid open kid boxes of soggy Fruit Loops. Odd chunks of apple nailed with toothpicks. Twelve cookies he had buttered. They ate like they had never tasted food before. And God... It was good. For Garrison, the fish was a wonder. He held the remains and could hardly fathom the beauty of its skeleton, a beauty so intense it was painful. The symmetry and curve of bone that hid inside the rough and ugly cover of flesh. He wanted to look away. It was like staring at the sun, but the energy and brilliance held his eyes even as it seemed to burn his retinas blind. God, he remembered how this all once was, how once everything was like this, this intensity of wonder, this awe. That's what it was, awe in the biblical sense, the awful, brilliant pain of everything. His eyes refocused and saw Tanner through the fan of fish ribs, Tanner was staring at his plate, 
and then pushed away from the table. He bolted for the door. Kirk looked up in a shaggy-headed way. Cookie-tosser. All that talkin'. Garrison thought to laugh, but the bones were much too spectacular. Tanner reappeared at the cabin screen door, his pale, skin-tight face horrific like a Halloween costume. I think I made a mistake. Garrison watched him speak through the Chinese fan of fish bones. Seriously, he said, trying to release the word from his ludicrously gleaming teeth. I think I... He paused and rubbed his hand vigorously over his face. I think I put the wrong mushrooms in the spaghetti. Kirk wobbled his ball cap head. What? Garrison couldn't even muster that. This dead fish was so enthralling. I think I put the wrong mushrooms in the spaghetti. What wrong mushrooms? Kirk asked. It could have been, Tanner stood, an apparition against the utter blackness of October in the northern woods. His head shook violently, and he scratched agitatedly near his eye. Suddenly, he lunged at the table. Puke it up, he shouted. Christ, we might be poisoned. His face inches from Garrison. It might have been the angel, he said. I think I cooked the angel. Kirk leapt for the door. Tanner paced a small, tight circle. I found one on this shore. I think it was one. I put it in my bag. I think I put... It came to Garrison. Sweat burst out all over his body, soaking his clothes. He stood up knocking the bench back, lunging for the door. Kirk was vomiting in the darkness. Within seconds, Garrison was too. Behind them, they heard Tanner at the front of the cabin. Between heaves, Garrison looked over at Doug, sleeping through it. He wished for once he were Doug, mute and safe. Kirk's face glowed white like a moon. Oh, God, do you think the toxin's in here? He pointed at his breathless chest. Garrison rolled over onto the dirt. His head swelled with every heartbeat. We'll head back, Garrison said. Paddle back to the cars. Find a hospital. Garrison stood up with his plan. Kirk shallow breaths and groans, ghostly in the cold air. Garrison tripped into a canoe and, straining, pushed it up and over his head. He took two hazy steps, lost his balance, spun and banged the canoe against a tree, falling with the boat on top of him. His pulse throbbed in swollen bladders behind his eyes. He felt ill and, though he tried to stop, vomited again under the canoe. He pushed against the thwart, but too weakly to make it move. He sank back, trying to avoid the throw-up, though he couldn't see anything. A small part of him just wanted to stay here, to say, that's it. He knew that small part, like grit into pearl, grew larger each year. What was there to hold on to? Sure, there were things to do, to say, to be, but with each windy year those aspirations faded. The dots receded and glowed less brightly. The universe, he knew, was cooling. Big Gar, we have to get back to the cars. Garrison whispered. Tanner's skull-like head appeared in the darkness. I found them! 
Tanner, laughing like a macaw. I found the mushrooms. We're good. Oh, God, we're all good. Garrison stared at Tanner's chiseled face and German glasses. No. Yes, Tanner shouted. There is no angel. Garrison dragged himself along the dirt until he was clear of the canoe. We could feel fine and die tomorrow. It's all good. Tanner couldn't contain his laughter. If I thought there's any chance I'd poison myself, do you think I'd stay here? Jesus, Tanner, Garrison said. But man, Tanner said. Man. He punched Garrison in the shoulder. Did you feel it? Did you feel the cold finger of death? Did you? I didn't know which boy would get my cap, Kirk said. Garrison hated Tanner. But he felt it, crackling just underneath his skin. Doug awoke, rubbing his eyes, staring at them. Just back from the dead, Tanner announced, like he had promised it to them, like it was a gift that had been right there in front of them all this time. Thanks for listening to Fresh New Shorts. If you enjoyed today's story, please leave a comment and rate us five stars wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can find The Destroying Angel in A Physicist's Guide to Love and Other Natural Phenomena on Amazon.com. Subscribe to our podcast and come back again.